You are listening to the What's That Mean post-message podcast, following Brad Franklin's message on week two, July 1st and 2nd, entitled Me, My Selfie, and I. Hey everybody, uh, this is John. And this is Sean. And what do you have to say for yourself, Brad? Nothing, because Brad is not here uh, this week. We miss him. But uh, Sean, what did I just call you? Shad? Shad. Yeah. Shadrach. Shadrach. Sean and I are going to uh, toss some things back and forth today following the weekend. Yeah, great message. Uh, me, my selfie, and I. And so it was interesting watching the different audiences, the 5 o'clock service, the 6.30, the 9, the 10.45 on Sunday morning, and how they all sort of responded to the selfie when Brad went down into the audience and took a selfie. Okay, so tell me about this. Yeah, it's interesting. How is it, how was it different? Well, some were enthusiastic and they jumped right in. Others weren't really so sure. Is 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 he joking around? What's going on? So it's just kind of fun to watch the different personalities of the gatherings come together. That is so funny. Yeah, our, our gatherings do have a different personality. If you're listening to this, um, I don't know what gathering you go to, but they do. It's like churches take on a personality. Different gatherings take on personality too. I think maybe it's affected by time of day, you know, and the day, Saturday to Sunday. Uh, yeah, and, and if you've never been to one of the four gatherings, you might want to try a different one out. It might uh, shake things up a little bit. Yeah, come to the barbecue gathering. We always have a great time there. Yes, yes. I don't know what we're eating this week. I'm not sure what time that one's at. There is no barbecue gathering, but, <laughs> but that sounds fantastic. That's a so, good idea. So, uh, but Brad used the, the selfie to kind of launch into this discussion about the pursuit of self and how it sucks meaning. What did you think about that? Yeah, so it's, uh, we're building on this idea of different things that suck the meaning out of life. And so last week we talked about the grind and how the grind can suck the meaning out of life. And so this week uh, we talked talking about the pursuit of self. And I was curious from you, John, like where where do you see that in our culture these days? Where do you see... Uh, which venues, vignettes, cultures, subcultures, which parts of society do you see the pursuit of health? Uh, of health or of self? Of self. Did I oh. say health? You said health that time, okay. I think, but I was, I was which would be a good conversation, yes. too. But, um, you know, it, it's funny because it's easy for us to vilify the social media context, right. social networking, and everybody... You know, it's it's easy to point a finger at that and talk about the pursuit of self and how ridiculous it is that that we take selfies so often and and it, a lot of people that wasn't really a main point for Brad, but a lot of people kind of latched onto that. And I heard a lot of discussion, had discussion in the lobby. Yes, it, it's funny. I I believe um, because of what I've seen evidence in my own life that one of the major untapped areas for us as the church, one of the things that I think we get wrong most of the time is how to harness the power of social networking for great things. Interesting. When, when I see people posting selfies all the time and, and talking about themselves all the time, they're not exposing anything new, right? I right. mean, this is, it's not like the internet invented pride 
right? right? right it was right. already there. It's only surfacing the things that already exist yeah. in you and I. And so it's just a good, it's a fantastic uh, entry point into conversation uh, with people. I can't tell you the conversations that I have with people that something will get posted online and then I'll get a direct message from someone and we'll meet at a coffee shop and we have really fantastic mm. Meaningful conversation because of what initially happened online, and I think that the church throughout the years has always uh, been quick to vilify things that it fears mm. and things that it doesn't understand and things that don't necessarily match up with its own tradition. Um, and so, something new, quote unquote, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's relatively new for us, right? Yeah, comes along, and it's easy to say. Well, this isn't real communication. And in fact, I think what we should be saying is, what is God trying to communicate to us in this venue? Hmm. And how do we step into this? And how do we talk with people in this space that isn't really defined yet? Instead of pointing fingers. Well, you bring, you bring up an interesting point because I, I think that oftentimes things are that are benign so meaning that they're not inherently evil or inherently good things that are benign have a way of exposing kind of the truth behind our hearts in the long run so social media it's it's really not a not a bad thing or a good thing uh it's how we use social media and so we can use it for good we can use it for bad and we kind of follow that out and play that out. One of the one of the most exciting things that I was part of a few years ago, um, when chat rooms were a big deal, yes, is we set up some computers uh, throughout the auditorium in the church, and I called a bunch of my pastor friends, men and women uh, around the world, literally, and asked if they would uh, be confess. Ease. Hmm. If they would listen to people's confessions that were anonymous. Hmm. Now, one weekend, we set up these chat booths in confessional booths of, of sorts, and you would walk in and log on, and you were just confessor number one. Hmm. And you would send something out there, and somebody was on the other side willing to talk to you. And uh, and still to this day, people still talk about how that was one of the most meaningful, um, one of the most meaningful collaborations with technology, right? right? Something that we totally didn't understand. Something that it was easy for, and, and rightly so in many cases. You know, parents were pointing the finger at the evils of chat rooms, but you know, to stand back and say, how how does God want to use this? How could He possibly? Use this. How might we imagine God using this in our context? Uh, something extremely beautiful came of it. Yeah, that's that's interesting. What do you think happens when the selfie turns into a my selfie? Like what what constitutes that change when a, when an innocent selfie mm-hmm. and I'm and I'm speaking sort of not. Uh, um, I'm speaking sort of philosophically here. So 
the idea of a selfie is you take a picture of yourself or you take a picture of you and somebody else and maybe in the background there's a beautiful mountain or there's friends or, or there's something going on and you post those to Facebook and your friends get to share that moment with you and celebrate that moment with you. That's sort of the best case scenario. But what happens, what needs to take place in the human heart for that, hey everybody, come and join in my happiness to, oh, it's it really is about me. Mm-hmm. I'm pursuing myself now. Mm-hmm. I see all those dangers, man, and I know you'll agree with this too. Sometimes don't you just, sometimes, especially if you know the person a little bit, you'll see some activity happening online, and I see those things so often as a cry for help. Not so much as somebody totally absorbed with themselves, although it may appear like that, you know, on the surface. Mm. But it's a it's a cry, you know, the excessive selfie. I look at it, and I see a cry for community. I see kind of this underlying, do you want to join me in this? Mm. Uh, will somebody please join me mm. in this? Um, and so that's the that's the default for me. Honestly, it's, maybe it's just where I'm at right now. When I see those things. Uh, instead of rising up and wanting to take action and point the finger and shame people for those things, which, by the way, this week we're going to be talking about shame um, and how it's <clears throat> one of those things that keeps us from missing the meaning of life. Um, but I look at I look at those scenarios and I just I want to love people. I want I want to photobomb their selfie hmm. and say and say, hey, there is a community of people here that that you can be part of, Mm. you know, we want you just as you are. Yeah. I think I, I think what I hear you saying, and, and I think this is a critical part of being a follower of Jesus. And I think it's uh, one of our basic human needs is that we all need empathy Mm -hmm. and empathy. I heard somebody say the other day, empathy is, is the new cool, you know, and just how, it's hard to know somebody. I mean, really know them. And we talk about this idea that we're created to know and be known, to love and be loved. Mm. And it's hard for that to become real. It's hard for that to even be possible without empathy in a relationship. And, and sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll look at a picture, or I'll look at a posting, or I'll be in a relationship. I mean, throw social media out of it altogether. I'll be in a relationship and I'll have to back up and ask myself, oh, where can I show empathy mm-hmm. so that I can understand, so that I can take the conversation to, to a deeper level? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jesus was king of this, right? Of empathy, of understanding exactly where someone was and coming alongside them and, and not shaming them for it. Even, even when he calls out the very thing that they could have, would have should have been shamed for or whatever. Right. He calls right. those things out, but you almost hear as you read through these stories, like him talking to the woman at the well, for instance. Mm. You you can hear Jesus' voice in that, saying, "Hey, P.S. I know what's going on right now. I know this is the deal in your life, and by the way, I'm willing to sit here and have a drink of water with you." Mm. Um. I'm willing to go against the grain. I'm willing to be the only salmon swimming, you know, downstream on this and uh, go out of my way to be part of your story. 
And it almost seems that when we read the Gospels, that when Jesus shows empathy, you almost get this sense that everybody else wanted to do something different. In other words, nobody else wanted to show empathy, and then Jesus would show it. So his disciples at one point wanted to keep the kids away from Jesus. Right. Or the disciples, two of them wanted to commit mass murder. I mean, we, I mean, it doesn't say that in the Gospels, but James and John wanted to call fire down from heaven right. and destroy a village because they wouldn't let them walk through the village. Right. And Jesus sort of says, well, why don't we just go around? <laughs> let's, let's go a different direction. And every time... Jesus shows empathy every time he shows understanding in his relationships. It's almost as if other people are watching him going, no, you're doing the wrong thing, Jesus. Right. You're supposed to tell them where they're wrong. You're supposed to judge them. You're supposed to get them back on the right track. You're supposed, right. to, you're supposed to force them to live a certain way. Right. Because if you do that, Jesus, I'm going to feel a whole lot better about myself because I'm not doing or involved in that particular brand of sin, which in my estimation is probably worse than what I'm involved in right now. You know what I'm saying? It's like I, I, had, this, I had this buddy who used to say there's two ways to have the biggest building in town. You build the biggest building or you tear all the other ones down. Mm. And I think all the people wanted Jesus to do was tear all the other ones down. As long as he kept doing that and didn't rain on their parade, then they were going to feel pretty good about themselves, right? So Brad said something about the me generation. Mm -hmm. He talked about the fact that he was born into the me generation and uh, was, was, was young in the 70s and growing up and coming of age and that sort of thing. And, and then he said, but every generation since has been the me generation. And the thought struck me this week, well, maybe, maybe every generation that has ever existed is the me generation. This yeah. idea of it's all about it's all about me, right? Yeah, that's interesting. Also interesting that uh, back then in the seventies, I called it the Brad generation. So, no, that was a bad attempt at a joke. He do, he probably has some cool pictures that we can dig up at some point. That w that would be a beautiful. I don't thing. know if anybody out there in Lakeside Land wants to see some old pictures of Brad from the seventies, but it might be fun. Yeah, if you have pictures, uh, you can send those to us because we would like to throw him under the bus. I mean, we would love to. In the to, most uh, loving way. Yeah, it would be fantastic. <laughs> yeah, every, every generation, the, the me generation, uh, true. I mean, um, I love how John the Baptist said um, that he had to decrease, right, so that Jesus would increase, right. um, get out of the way you know, so that he would increase. The more people see Jesus, then they're going to be able to sort out their, their duty, right? Mm. There's a personal part of dying to self that's mm. very, very important to me. There's a personal part of, of having, allowing God to carve away that stuff in me that's poison to me, you know, me poisoning me. But but I also poison others, the more more me that's in the picture. And that doesn't mean that you and I don't bring fun things to the table or we can't invest right. wonderful things in people's lives. It's the toxic yuckiness right. that we allow to shroud and eclipse Jesus. 
This is why I have friends who say, I don't know if I want to be a Jesus follower. Because hmm. I know a few of them. Hmm. Right. And, and so uh, as Brad was talking, he kind of started to talk about some of the antidotes to this idea of the pursuit of self, uh, which is one of the meaning suckers of life, just sucks the meaning right out of life. And he talked about the idea of living out the golden rule. So the old golden rule comes from Matthew chapter 7, whatever you want somebody to do for you, do for them. And um, he talked about that a little bit. And then he pushed it even a little bit further. And he said, he used the phrase, what do you wish? Like, what do you wish for yourself in your own life? And then he says, go and pass it on. Do that. Do that to someone else. What do you think? Like, you use your imagination. You're good at using your imagination, John. You're a creative guy. What, what could life be like at Lakeside, in this city, in this region, if, if this massive movement of people saying, what do I wish, and then going and doing that for somebody else? Can you imagine what kind of culture we would live in, what kind of relationships that we would have, what kind of interactions that we would have, what kind of changes would take place hmm. in, this, in this place. I had a friend um, named Joe, Joe Aldrich. He was one of my uh, professors, and he was, a, um, he was a doctor at the college that I, I went to. And he, he told me um, that his whole his whole modus operandi is love people until they ask you why. Hmm. And I always thought that was just such a beautiful little pithy grabber, you know, love people until they ask you why. Um, I imagine a lakeside that is loving this community um, so brilliantly, um, so sacrificially that it makes no sense. It's the kind of love that makes no sense. A lakeside that is the biggest benefactor to this community. We give more away. We invest more in. Hmm. Um, I imagine a lakeside where, because of that, people are coming here on the weekend and they can belong before they believe. We talk about that a lot. Right. Um, um, where they understand that coming to Jesus is is a process and they don't have to have everything figured out as soon as they get here. And by the way, however, and I, I really mean however they show up at the door, um, they can ask whatever question they want. They can say whatever they want, and we're not afraid of those things. Mm. Um, I'm very excited uh, that uh, on the 7th of July here, um, uh, which is uh, Friday night, the 7th of July, uh, we're launching uh, a new ministry called Higher Power, which is a recovery ministry. And I had an opportunity to play music at Higher Power in San Francisco a couple of months ago and pray with some people after. And I thought, um, you know what, there's no better picture of of church than this. Like People coming to a place and saying, hey, I have nothing to hide. I mean, the very reason that I'm here mm. is because I know my life is a wreck. Mm. And all I want to do is talk to somebody 
And all I want to do is be honest with the stuff that's going on. And, and I'm begging for help. And I need you. Uh, and you need me. Um, and I, I love that. Um, and we're all in recovery. And right. I imagine, I imagine Lakeside on the weekend being one giant recovery place. Hmm. What about you? That's a beautiful picture. Yeah, beautiful picture. Um, in 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 similar in similar ways, I imagine a place where people can be exactly who they are, mm-hmm. and they can be met with the relentless love of Jesus right where they're at. Mm. And, and see, I, I, I've, I've always had this deep-seated belief that we can't change anybody. We cannot transform anybody. We really don't rescue anybody. Even though we believe this idea that God uses people, ultimately, ultimately, it's the power of the God that we believe in. It's the power of His Spirit working in the human heart, drawing that heart to Himself. And so do we just sit around and twiddle our thumbs? Absolutely not. We, we love, we reach out, uh, we live the life of Jesus who had this way of speaking this very difficult truth, but having it bathed in grace. Jesus always seemed to be able to find the tension between truth and grace. He came full of truth, full of grace, and we will swing to one side. Uh, some of us are wired to swing one way. We're going to go to the truth side. We're going to go to the grace side. And we're going to say, this is the best side. Everybody needs to come over on our side. And it's like a big teeter-totter. And really the idea is holding those two in tension and living those out well. And I think Jesus did that well. And that's that's the kind of place I imagine for my own life, whether it's in my own home, my own neighborhood, uh, our church, um, or this city in this region. Mm. And so um, I look forward to continuing to pursue that along mm. with this community. And we're imperfect. We're not going to say everything right every single time. We're not going to do everything right every single time because we're, we're people in process. And sometimes that process, we, we've got to get together and talk about it. And next week, we're going to get together and talk about a whole new topic. You mentioned shame. Do you want to give... Any insights on where we're heading next week? You want to give a little commercial? You want to you want to give a little shout out to people to uh, come next week or this weekend? It's only a couple days away, and yeah, right. Here we're talking. You know, one of the most popular episodes of HBO's Game of Thrones this past year is where one of the main characters, who by the way is not a very nice person, um, but still. One of the main characters is a religious order, orders her to shave her head and to be stripped down completely naked and paraded through a town of people that are throwing things at her and calling her names. Mm. And behind her is this woman who is part of this religious order, who, by the way, is also not a very nice person, who rings a bell the entire time as she follows her and says, shame. Ding, shame, ding. And it became one of those things, you know, became a meme. And there's an app, actually, you can download for your your phone where you shake your phone. It's a little bell. and We can all participate in the shaming of someone else. Right. (laughs) An interesting thing that happened with that episode is that everybody who watched 
uh, and this was widely talked about after the episode, uh, felt this empathy for this character Hmm. that they had never felt before because as evil as she is on the show, everybody saw this happening and something deep inside of us went, nobody deserves to be shamed like that. Hmm. I do that to myself just fine, thank you. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Right? Right. And so there was something that resonated, I think, with the world. Um, And I think... I think God has something to say to us about shame. The very shame at its core is, is different than guilt. You know, guilt is the kind of thing we, we do something bad uh, uh, or wrong or we wish we wouldn't have done it and we feel guilt after. Mm. We feel, oh, man, I should correct that or I should go back to that person and apologize. Shame is, is huge. It, it's, it's in the groundwater of our soul and it's the thing that we say to ourselves it's where we say, I am not worthy. I am worth nothing. How could God love me? How could anybody love me? So it's different than guilt motivated by the things that we do. Shame is this thing that permeates every part of our our body, uh, our minds, and it's toxic. Yeah. And um, it's funny that in the garden, um, they were naked and unashamed. Right, right, exactly. Until they have this 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 um, encounter right, right with the enemy and the enemy brings upon them shame mm-hmm. they they immediately hide they immediately know they're naked and they think it's something bad um, God says who told you you were naked right I mean the, the enemies the enemy one of his main roles is to make you and I feel shame, mm-hmm. like we're not worth anything. And God is saying all through the scripture, I love you just the way you are. Right. Yeah, things are messed up. Yeah, you do wrong things. Yeah, let's correct that. Yeah, let's get that right. Let's clean you up. Right? But, but you are worth something to me. Mm. So it's an interesting thing. We're talking about the selfie generation and this, this, this killing of self. And I think we can overcorrect that so much sometimes in the church that we, we, we talk about how bad it is to be focused on ourselves, that we right. create this. Right. Right? Right. And, and, and if you've ever been a part of a community like that, that takes the pendulum and swings it so far to the other side that you don't think about yourself. You're not allowed to love yourself in a proper, healthy way, it also sucks the meaning out of life. And for a lot of church history, that's, that's been the model. In fact, I, I'm reading a book on church history right now, and the scene that you described from Game of Thrones, I, I, you see that scene happening throughout church history. Mm-hmm. It's led by the religious. It's led by those in power, the shaming uh, that you described there. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to the talk. I'm looking forward to the idea of freedom from shame. And uh, it'd be fun. It'd be fun, mm-hmm. to, be fun to listen to you. Mm-hmm. That's awesome, man. Um, hey, let me ask you a question. Is that cool? Awesome. Um, so Brad said this weekend that a life lived where we fill others, where we give to others, brings meaning. And mm-hmm. I agree 
I agree with that. Um, we didn't have it's an, it's impossible to um, in a 30, 35 minute message talk about everything you'd like to talk about, which right. is one of the reasons we're doing this. But one of the questions that came up for me in that is, what about Sean? And I'm sure you've experienced this, these scenarios where we give, 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 give to somebody. Right. And they take, 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 take. Uh, is there a point where that becomes unhealthy uh, for us? And because I think there's a, there's a certain amount of guilt that comes with um, kind of drawing a line in the sand and saying enough is mm. enough. You can't take from me anymore. What, what does God say yeah. about that? Well, I think it actually becomes healthy for both parties in that sort of scenario. Uh, the one that is just taking and taking and taking isn't finding the meaning behind life, which that we've been talking about in this series. They're just taking. But the one that's giving, I don't think, is finding that meaning either. In fact, there may be um, a whole list of motivations or Uh, reasons why a person would be on either side of that scenario. So the one that's giving and giving and giving, the question is, well, what's what's going on inside that person that they are allowing this relationship to go on and on and on where they're emptying themselves and yet they're sort of being controlled by that other person or they're being controlled by something in them that may be unhealthy or may be just bent out of shape a little bit. And so are they searching for meaning? Are they searching for identity? Are they searching for purpose? One author that I like, Robert McGee, talks talks about searching for significance. Mm. And so you can literally give your life away in an unhealthy way. And, and, and you think that you're following this model of Jesus, but down deep, it's done for different reasons. And so I think, I think uh, healthy boundaries are an important thing. We have to step back. And, and, and Jesus was really, really good at this. He modeled this well. He went away and had time spent in solitude. He needed time for himself. He needed some me time. I mean, imagine a sermon called Jesus Needed Me Time. Right. I, I mean, that, that, that wouldn't fly right off the bat. People would say, well, what are you going to talk about? He had to go and he had to take responsibility for himself and fill his bucket. He had, to, he had to re-energize. He had to refocus. He had to spend time in prayer. He had to spend time in solitude thinking about what the next step was. And so we see this pattern in him. And so what I would say to others is follow the pattern of Jesus. Hmm. Unplug, you know, for a certain amount of minutes per day. Unplug for a certain amount of minutes per week, per month, per year. That's good advice because I'm a workaholic. I I have been my entire life. God is shaving those rough edges off mm-hmm. of me. But it's so funny that a, a message like that would, never would have been preached. Uh, in a church that I grew up in because the environment that I grew up in um, would have, uh, you know, applauded working hard. So a, yes. a more likely sermon would have been Jesus didn't work hard enough. Yes. But <laughs> but nobody would actually <laughs> want to say that. Right. But we do that to ourselves. Jesus was lazy is, yeah. is what we'd all be thinking. Right, right. We wouldn't want to say that out loud. Right. But that's, that's, that is what we do to ourselves. So that's, yeah. that's fantastic advice. 
Well, good. Well, hey, thanks for joining us for this post-message podcast, and we are going to do this, continue to do this throughout this series, so we'll be speaking again next week. Uh, We love you all, and hope to talk to you soon. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Hey, thanks for listening today. We hope you had a good time. We hope you find it helpful. You can listen to the entire message from the weekend uh, and watch it on video if you'd like by going to lakesidechurch.com, clicking on menu, and then media. Tune in next week. Peace. Peace.